All right, students, we are now to our penultimate lecture on the Divine Comedy. This is Dante's The Divine Comedy 2019-2020 lecture. 38, introductory lecture on Dante's Paradiso, Cantus 27 to 29, the sphere of the prima mobile slides, 300 to 339. Take a quick look at that. That point in the middle, what's the point? That point is God, the source, the beginning of all things, the origin, many names. So, now that we are so high into heaven, entering into the ninth sphere of heaven, and we'll officially enter into it in the next couple slides, it is a time for reflection. Just as the night is the culmination of the day, and in the night we reflect on the things that have happened before during the day, so at the top of heaven we must reflect on how much ground we've covered. And so Dante now reflects upon Ulysses, Odysseus, and how far he has come, which is very interesting given the fact that we are now in Canto 27. These are Cantos 27 through 29. We'll get into 30 at the end of the lecture today. But recall, it was Canto 26 in which we first met Ulysses down in the Inferno. Then, and we heard that actually Canto 26 is, uh, it has a theme all across the canticles, just like Canto 6 has a theme all across the canticles. Just as Canto 6 is the political theme, we see Justinian in it, Chiaco in it, as well as Sordello. So in 26, do we see not only Ulysses, but later uh, Guido Guidizelli, as well as Arno Daniel, as well as um, Adam later on. It is the uh, canto of poetry, of language. And so now that we've passed that, that, uh, that marker, those uh, pillars of Heracles in this text, as it were, and crossed into the unknown, it's time for us to reflect on where we've been. And so uh, this is very similar itself to our reflection on going through the planetary spheres, which happened in Canto 22, lines 139 to 150. And recall that they were sort of named by their parents' names. And so like the daughter of Latona would be the moon. The, the son of Maya would be Mercury. The daughter of Dione would be Venus, obviously. And so, Dante near here uses his power of contemplation, the contemplation that he has just so recently seen uh, being used by Peter Damien and St. Benedict amongst the contemplatives in Sphere 7 of Saturn. And as he looks back on his journey, is he simply looking back on what he has done and where he has been, or is he also looking back on who he has been and how much he has transformed? In fact, can you see and observe a rate of change? It's sort of a calculus question here, and can you observe your own change without looking back on what you have once been in pursuit of a standard? Say, when you first start lifting weights, you want to bench press 300 pounds. When you first start, you're at like 40 pounds. You can't even do the bar. Okay, fine. But uh, on the way to getting where you want to get to 300, you get to 150. And at that 150 point, you look back on where you've been and you think, man, I used to be a lot wetter than I am now. Weaker, and yet I still have a long way to what? To go, and this is supposed to model your own human life and how you are supposed to orient yourself in your own human life and why it is important to work towards things in your human life because it lets you know what you've actually been doing over time and how much you've done. And uh, I, I'd say that this is a good piece of life for advice from Dante. Make sure to make time to reflect on things, especially at the ends and the beginnings. Of things. And so here's our text. I saw beyond Cadiz, that's in Spain, the passage, the demented Ulysses took. Remember, folle Ulysses, the word from which we get folly, crazy Ulysses, and uh, took. And on this side, the shore almost on which the gentle Oiropa was carried. So Dante sees beyond now what Ulysses saw. He has gone farther than Ulysses. If Ulysses went farther than any man at his time, in uh, passing the pillars of Heracles, which are in Spain, and seeing the mountain of Purgatory. Recall, he did not make it to Purgatory. Who has made it to Purgatory after going through hell? 
Dante, who has made it into Celestial Paradise, Dante. Something interesting about that, I've told you that epic writers try to beat each other. That, like, something that um, uh, Dante does explicitly amongst the thieves in Canto 27 of the Inferno is he has them, uh, 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 excuse me, is it 27? It could be 25. Uh, no, no, it is seven, no, it is 25. Very good. He has the thieves tur tur transform into snakes in the same way that Lucan has uh, uh, snakes transform in his Pharsalia, in the same way that Ovid has uh, Tiresias turn into a snake in his Metamorphoses. Well, here we see that, um, oh, oh yes, and that was what I was going to say, uh, and there's a 16th century epic by, by another Italian uh, called Orlando Furioso, and the Italian, his name is Ludovico Ariosto, and it's interesting, one, his main character, Orlando, loses his mind, which goes to the moon, and he has a character named Asolfo with a winged horse go through the inferno, where he talks to a cheater, and then go up the mountain of purgatory to the top of uh, terrestrial paradise, where he actually meets St. John, of all people, and then he ascends to the first sphere of heaven, which is obviously the what? The moon. And on the moon, he finds something very interesting. He makes a change. He finds all the wits that people have ever lost on the moon, and actually takes his own wits back, and then takes Orlando's wits back. And uh, the writer in the very next canto, it happens to be in Canto 34, when he says this, recall that the Inferno was 34 cantos long, very intelligent. He actually says, the uh, poet in the beginning of Canto 35 says, but who will go take my lost wits and bring them back to me? And so, very interesting, you can see, not only in Dante here, going beyond Homer, even after Dante, Ariosto attempting to go beyond Dante, though I don't think that it actually worked out in that case. All right, uh, Oiropa, something interesting about her. Um, the story of Oiropa is that she was one of the lovers of Zeus, and in fact, Oiropa is one of the planets, or excuse me, one of the moons that surrounds Jupiter, precisely for that reason, just like Io, and there are a few others too, uh, just like that. Um, Oiropa was a woman loved by Zeus, who Zeus then became a beautiful bull uh, that she rode on, and then took her out into the sea, and brought her over, uh, essentially, to Europe. The idea is that when this woman wed with Zeus, that this land of Europe then became civilized. And the idea here is that uh, when you go to the unknown, this is very similar to Jason and the Golden Fleece, uh, you must bring something back to the known. That which you have learned, you bring back, and you, uh, uh, you, you thrust something into your civilization that uh, organizes it in a better way. That you do, you, you, uh, hmm. How, how do I even put this? That you bring something of great value back to your people that they then use to make themselves uh, greater, smarter, healthier in some way or another. And so this, uh, this is just a small story that is supposed to uh, be a symbol of the spread of Greco-Roman influence across Europe. In any case, moving back to the text itself, Dante's mind is enamored with Beatrice's beauty, as the eye is with tricks of nature or art. Uh, like bright colors, for example, like ripe fruit has. And he now moves up from the lovely nest of Leda. Recall that Leda was the mother of Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux were the brothers of Clytemnestra and Helen, but they are also the two twins who form the constellation Gemini. And so we are moving up from the fixed stars into the primum mobile now. And there it is. There it is. And in fact, there it, there it isn't. This is a picture by... Uh, Sandro Botticelli, and often when you see the Primula, you see concentric circles inside of each other. Concentric means circles sharing the same center, um, like a bullseye, uh, something you shoot at um, with arrows. In any case, uh, something interesting about the Prima Mobile, however, is this is a representation which is not quite true to form, because the first thing you see on the fact sheet about the Prima Mobile 
So that all parts here are uniform. You learned that in Canto 27 lines 100 to 102, like glass in a window. And so if you think about glass in a window, if there are no panes, how, how, does one, how does the left part of the glass relate to the right part of the glass? They look the, the same. They look the same. Uh, all parts of glass in a mirror look the same. All parts of glass in a window look the same. Glass looks the same because it is translucent. Everything in the prima mobile looks the, you don't need to answer, the same. <laughs> and so, the nature of the universe starts here. Here in the prima mobile are the roots to the tree, which is reality. And so how you should be looking at uh, the paradiso itself here is that it is an upside down tree. The roots, rather than being at the bottom, are in the top. And so the trunk and the foliage or the branches that have the uh, leaves on them are at the bottom. And so we have been going through the branches down the stem or trunk towards the roots. We are here now at the roots. And why, is, uh, why are roots used here? Well, because roots are the beginning of a thing. They are the beginning of a thing that you cannot see. If you're looking at a normal plant or tree, it is the trunk you can see. It is the foliage you can see. It is not the roots beneath the ground. And so these are, uh, we are getting to the place of first beginnings, the things that you cannot see with your eyes, the things that you can only see with your mind's eye, with your mind, your rational intellect, as um, Aristotle would say. And so what does it mean for the nature of the universe to start here? That means that nature starts here. And there are two concepts which form nature. They are space, which is the three dimensions you know about, the first dimension, uh, which is the point, second dimension, which is line, and uh, the third dimension, which is... Uh, an object, or rather, the second dimension can be any uh, can be any representation on one-dimensional space. So uh, a square is two-dimensional. But then you add in depth, and the square becomes a cube, and that's your third dimension. And then, of course, the fourth dimension by which uh, we measure things, uh, the rate of change of things, is time. So we live within an extended space that extends over time. And how you see the world is actually bounded by space and time. It took an 18th century philosopher, uh, Immanuel Kant, to figure that out. He said, there is no way that you can think outside the bounds of space and time. And you can try, but um, uh, it's very unlikely you'll be successful. In any case, the nature of the universe, which is still at the center, while all the rest moves around it. Notice that uh, unmoved mover metaphor again there, that Aristotelian concept of God. It begins here, as it were, from its starting point. So the start of everything is up here. It is like we are getting to a second Garden of Eden, an even uh, more original Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, or the starting place, not simply of the world, but of the universe itself. And so when she who raised my mind, Beatrice, to paradise, had revealed the truth. All right, okay, so now we're going to get to um, the first major question of the Prima Mobile. We're going to talk about the rate of uh, speed of the spheres of heaven, which uh, <laughs> we can see from Earth, which is sort of an interesting concept. And then we're going to talk a little bit about angels, and then we're going to move forth to the creation of the world, the fall of Lucifer, whether, re whether angels have memory and willpower and intellect, and how many angels there happen to be. In any case, how is it that these spheres of heaven are ordered? Well, each one has a different proximity to God. As you can see in this representation of the primum, Mobile. Some of the circles are close to the source, some of them are farther away. What determines this and how fast they move? Well, from our human perspective on Earth, we have the opposite of the correct perspective. 
We think that the spheres of heaven, which are closest to earth, move the fastest. So we think the moon, Mercury, Venus, those all move fastest. And actually, it is, uh, uh, I believe it is actually the case nowadays that we know that that is actually physically true. Um, and they have the shortest years, and they transverse the, uh, the, the smallest amount of distance. However, for Dante's reasoning, this medieval scholastic reasoning, which doesn't care so much about physics, um, this is what is true. It is actually the case that the spheres farthest from Earth, closest to God, move fastest. Um, and what is the reason for this? Well, they are motivated by an even more perfect intelligence and even more perfect will than the spheres below them, so they move even faster in accordance with the divine will, which moves instantaneously. And so the top spheres of heaven, the prima mobile, is therefore the fastest of the spheres with the most amount of truth in it. And uh, because the spheres that are closest to God, who is in this case the truth, have more of God in them, and therefore more of the truth in them, and therefore move faster like him. Uh, remember, instantaneously is how fast the unmoved mover moves. It's like it's not moving, it moves so fast. In any case, that would mean that the moon is the slowest sphere after that, Mercury after that, Venus after that, uh, the sun, Mars, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, the fixed stars, and the prima mobile. And that is the basic point that's made here. From that point, heaven and the whole of nature depend. That point is talking about God, the source, the origin of all things. All right, good. And so, like I was saying uh, just now, but I'll repeat this because this is sometimes complicated to students, on earth... The farthest heaven seems slowest from our perspective. We see the, uh, the spheres seeming to move uh, very slowly across the sky. And yet, that is our inverted, incorrect way of seeing with our senses without using our minds. But in heaven, one notices that the farther spheres from earth, uh, the farthest one being the prima mobile, are closer to the source of their motion, and therefore the prima mobile and God, and are therefore faster. Therefore, the closer to the truth, or the origin, or the point, or God, the sphere is, the more truth is housed within it, the faster it moves, because the more uh, literally motivated it happens to be. Uh, motivation being a, uh, a sense of internal motion, movement. All right, here is an image of angelic orders. We're not going to talk too much about them, because uh, um, honestly, that's just not a big part of our interpretation of this text. And so, the choirs of angels from Canto 28. I really only need you to know the first trinity, rather than, all uh, nine or ten choirs of them. In any case, the choirs of angels are elucidated. The ones that are embodied in the Prima Mobile are called the Seraphim. And the second highest ones in the fixed stars are the Cherubim. And the third highest ones in Saturn are the Thrones. Yes, Thrones, like something that is sat on by a king. Now, what is it that the Seraphim indicate? Well, they show loving attention or fiery keenness. Uh, the Seraphim represent um, a divine... Uh, a divine love is what they, they really show. They, uh, the highest choir of angels in heaven represent love. And so uh, apparently the highest concept in all reality is love. And uh, the most important thing in existence and in a human existence seems to be love. What is second even to that, contrary from the philosophical tradition, which uh, uh, Dante would be inheriting, is wisdom. Rather than wisdom being the most important thing in all the universe, love is. And so wisdom is a second takes a second place here through the idea of the cherubim. The thrones are represented as a stream of wisdom called glowing ones. Sometimes I interpret them as uh, communicators of thoughts, as words, something that can be shared between people. You share wisdom and love with people often, not only through your actions, but through your thoughtful words as well. In fact, 
Uh, there are certain things you can say that are themselves actions, like stop or start. In any case, Dante then gives his compliments to a man named Dionysus the Areopagite, who is sometimes erroneously called St. Denis, who himself wrote on the celestial hierarchy and gave what Dante considers an accurate uh, listing of the angels in heaven. There was a second guy, Pope Gregory, the same Gregory that supposedly raised Trajan from the dead in order to baptize him Christian so that he could die and go to heaven. Uh, well, he had an idea on the celestial hierarchy, which is apparently wrong. In fact, Dante explicitly says that uh, when Pope Gregory made it to heaven, he smiled at his mistake. And so, if I ask you on a quiz or a test coming up, uh, which uh, thinker on angels was correct according to Dante, you will say that it was, uh, if he was to be correct, Dionysus the Areopagite, uh, not of Gregory. In any case, this is a work from the Celestial Hierarchy. It talks about the seraphim. means those who kindle or make hot. That's love. Cherubim denotes abundance of knowledge or an outflowing of wisdom. And the glowing ones, streams of wisdom, are the thrones. And uh, so, now, Dante has decided that we have now, since we are at the beginning of the university, uh, to ask some of the biggest questions. Tell me about the creation of the world. What came first in the creation? Uh, Dante, being a medieval scholastic, is well familiar with the 4th uh, uh, century philosophical thinker Aristotle. And so, what is it, or 4th and 5th century, I suppose, in any case, uh, from the 5th century tradition. Uh, Aristotle splits all things in existence into form and matter. And he uses the very famous analogy of a signet ring, and that's a ring with a sign or a symbol on it, being pressed into the wax. The form is the uh, form, or, or say if the sign on the wax, or excuse me, if the sign on the ring is an eagle and then it's impressed into the wax, the form that then goes into the wax is an eagle. The uh, matter or is then the wax itself. And so Dante's asking what came first, form and matter? Form or matter? Or, or was it heaven or was it earth? Or was it man or was it woman? What came first, the chicken or the egg? as it were. And, well, the, the response that we get is actually that form and matter were made all at once in the form of a being. So a being, a human, is itself form and matter. Your matter is your flesh, your human body. Your form, for Aristotle, is your soul or your mind. And so um, uh, Dante has here Beatrice say that it the body was not made first. The soul was not made first. They were made all at once. And in fact, so then three things were made at once. Form was made. In the same moment, matter was made. In the same moment that a being, which is the combination of form and matter, were made. Three things were all made at once. And again, you can see this Trinitarian thought right there. You can see this, um, um, this uh, unity and plurality all in one. And so, there you go. In any case, order and substance were created at once. Remember that Zeus is a principle of order in the universe. He talked about his golden rope and hates Ares, who is the principle of conflict in the universe. The highest point of the universe is pure actuality. In fact, that's one of the ideas of Aristotle and Dante on what a god is. Pure act. Purus actus, it is sometimes called. Something that is constantly in motion, never stopping, and engaged in a perfect motion that can never change because potential is that which allows something to be receptive or change in the universe. Well, Pure potentiality is in the lowest place in the universe. So the highest point of the universe, something that's purely act. Lowest point of the universe, something that's purely potential, purely receptive, has no character in of itself, can just be impressed upon by other things. Well, apparently this pure act, or purest actus, 
and this pure uh, potentiality, this purest potence, were twisted together, never to be in, uh, untwisted. And so you might see act here as form, and you might see uh, potentiality here as matter. There is no such thing, according to Dante, as simply pure form. There is no, no such thing simply as pure matter. They're all together, which might say some interesting things about Dante's conception of what uh, God really is to him. And so, you know, just sort of a, a theological question one might be tempted to ask, potentially heretical, is did God come to be in the same moment man did, as mediated through the limiting or discerning function of consciousness? Was the creation of consciousness also an act of binding it to finite matter? Is that sort of the idea behind uh, being bound to the flesh, being bound to limitation? Now, remember that quote from Jupiter, which was, the infinite in excess could not help but to uh, limit itself at some point in uh, the universe in order to become actual. And so do things have to be limited to be real? Is, there, is the idea of something which is unlimited and real a contradiction in thought? Uh, these are difficult questions. And, well, so Dante gives us a bit of a bibliography. He says, uh, well, there are plenty of people that agree with my way of thinking here, and he doesn't even list Aristotle. He says, first and foremost, there's St. Jerome. And then second, he says, the Holy Scriptures. Again, he uses uh, the Holy Scriptures in total as uh, in agreement with his thought on something. And so uh, he says, and you will see for yourself if you look carefully in uh, Cantor 29, line 42. And so reason can see this for perfect motions do not last without perfect intelligence behind them and perfect wills motivating them. So note all these terms. No uh, space and time. No pure act. No pure potentiality. No, also what you see here, perfect intelligence and perfect willpower. Because the idea behind the movements of the spheres of heaven is that they move in perfect circular motions. We know that that's incorrect now because of the ecliptic. We know that they actually move in elliptical fashions now. But again, Dante was not so privy uh, to uh, 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 actual physical thinking as we are. And so the idea behind how these spheres move in perfect motions is that they have perfect intellect. So they can move in a perfect way. And they never stop moving in a perfect way because they have perfect wills, which means that they're perfectly motivated. So they do a perfect motion for all time, never stopping. And that's why Dante thinks the spheres of heaven are constantly moving, and that's why Dante thinks the universe continues to move. And that's not that bad an idea because, I mean, uh, we know that uh, through some tricks of gravity, uh, the planets seem to revolve around the sun, and we do too, while also rotating on our axis, and... This happens to create the conditions for life, which we totally do not control and are totally um, uh, uh, subject to uh, uh, the will of, uh, you could say, heaven or the sun for. And so this is Dante's attempt at a cosmology, at why the universe is the way that it is, and it's not that bad an attempt. Now we have some further information these days which show us that he's not right in all cases, but he's doing the best he can with the concepts he has, and especially with his limited scientific knowledge. Alright. Now, Beatrice answers three burning questions of Dante. The first question is, how long after creation did Lucifer and the Horde fall? Now recall, we had a chance in Cancer 26 to ask Adam some questions, and one of the questions asked to him was, besides how old he was, sort of a rude question to ask an old person, uh, was, how long did you last in Eden? And we heard six or seven hours, and we recall that Dante also lasts six hours up in Celestial Paradise. So, six hours. Well, Lucifer lasted in heaven Fewer than 20 seconds, supposedly. Supposedly, the conception of the universe, the birth of the universe, happens, and about 20 seconds later, Lucifer falls. So very quick. Very quickly, that sort of thing happened. 
Why did it happen? The accursed pride of Lucifer. So pride has apparently been uh, bound to the universe since uh, around 20 seconds uh, from its inception. Um, and, uh, hmm, hmm, interesting. Well, that's really all I have to say about that one. Question two. Do the angels understand and remember and will? Now, so something Dante starts to say here, and uh, I do have a couple slides talking about this, is that um, some of the people that have interpreted Scripture have now started to put their own personal um, uh, uh, desires for glory in front of their pursuits of truth. They attempt to uh, show themselves as clever or interesting, or even, in the case of certain preachers in Dante's estimation, as funny. They care about being funny or seen as clever more than they care about figuring out the truth. And so people have started to say interesting things about angels. Um, Dante has a, a very um, interesting and limiting conception of angels. If you think of them as like sort of little baby Cupid cherubim with little uh, feathery dove-like wings holding harps and maybe bugles or trumpets to their mouths and flying about, that's not Dante's idea. In fact, he says that uh, Beatrice says, No! The angels do not understand and remember and will. Because the angel never stops looking at God. The angels never stop looking at God. If you are constantly looking at something that never changes, do you have to have a memory in order to remember that thing? No, because it's constantly exposed to your senses, or in the case of the uh, angels, to their intellects. Do you have to will? Well, again, sort of no. It, it does, uh, Dante does sort of express that they do have their own sort of willpower, but their willpower is one with the divine willpower, the absolute will. And so they don't actually need contingent wills because they simply will the same thing that the source or God wills. Um, and uh, do they understand in, in so far as uh, they, they have grace, they understand. And so the idea behind an angel is that they're constantly revolving around God in a perfect way and observing him in uh, a way that never changes. And so it seems almost to our taste sort of boring what's happening if you can consider looking at you know, the ineffable truth a boring sort of thing, which perhaps you can. Um, hmm. Question number three. How many angels are there in heaven? Um, Dante here says, well, uh, he sort of takes uh, King Solomon's sort of approach to this. There are many theories, and in fact, there are some people that say like 3,000 and 1,000 of them fell with Lucifer and try and get accounts like that. But Dante says, well, Men lie in the world, they twist scripture, men are ignorant too, they show off philosophy to show their peacock feathers, is what I was talking about just now, uh, rather than the white light of truth. Lambs go back home, fed on wind, that means empty words or promises, similar to Iolus's bag, uh, that's which is itself a metaphor for Odysseus's faith and his faithless men. And uh, people jump at promises without proof, they are so starved for truth. So this is one of those questions that people will give interesting answers to in order to be funny, or in order to be perceived as clever, and yet they won't try and dig and actually see true answers to this. The idea behind theology is not that you just find something interesting in order to glorify yourself, but that you find something true in order to uh, understand the world better, and perhaps to uh, charitably give that to somebody uh, near you. Um, which I think is, is very interesting, uh, especially having come from philosophical circles myself. It is obviously and often the case that people attempt to show off how smart they are in such a classroom, rather than to uh, figure out what is right out in front of them. So, so that the lambs, who don't know anything, this is, uh, this is Dante indicting preachers, go back from their pasture fed with wind. So this is like going to church and you have a very funny pastor, but he doesn't know anything about what he's talking about. Um, and it is no excuse that they don't see any harm in it. Christ did not say to his companions, go and preach rubbish to the world. But gave them truths that they could 
that they could build upon. And these sounded so loudly in their mouths, like trumpets, that in their fight to start the fire of faith, they used the gospel as both shield and lance. Now they go out with idiotic jokes to preach. And if people roar with laughter, the hood inflates with pride, and all are satisfied. It's so interesting that Dante says that. Having had experience as an inexperienced teacher and an experienced teacher. Now, I can tell you that when I knew much less, I definitely made more jokes in my class. As if uh, that was the appropriate time to be making such. As if uh, simply building affection through saying something funny at the expense of something I didn't understand uh, was in some way better than education. I can assure you that it's not. So as love follows upon the act of the mind which conceives, the sweetness of loving is warm or warmer as the case may be. Observe now. How exalted and how capacious is the eternal power which has made for itself so many mirrors, these mirrors of the angels, on which to break itself, and yet remains as one before. So, Daniel, there's an Old Testament author, Daniel, prophetic, does not give a definite number of angels. There are countless numbers of angels. Each is unique, and each reflects the light of God, with truth, almost as if each angel is itself a true message in the mind of God. So what is the answer to how many angels there are in the Prima Mobile in heaven itself? The answer is countless. Um, almost like, how many songs could ever be written? Well, countless. How many notes could ever uh, be struck in uh, differing uh, arrangements? It's like infinite. And so, uh, you might start to allegorically look at angels here as uh, thoughts or messengers of the divine mind. Almost as if they are themselves the true thoughts that can be um, uh, lighted upon by humans. Hmm. In any case, the empire Dante marvels at how fast and how far one's attention can range. He'd be thinking about Egypt, then he'd be thinking about Neptune, and they're very far away from each other. And so that means that your attention can span very rapidly. And then he considers how far he has come, so again, a reflective mind, and considers then the world below, which seems to be 6,000 miles away. So this is his 6,000 miles uh, above the earth, higher perspective that he has obtained through his work. And so we hear the first um, of very many odd things we're going to hear about the Empyrean over the next couple of days. The Empyrean embraces, that means encircles, all the prior spheres and earth. That means all things which exist in all the universe exist within the Empyrean. One other way of describing the Empyrean is the mind of God, which means that all things that exist, exist within the mind of God. Dante's <coughs> focus then returns to Beatrice. And we see just how beautiful she is in the most beautiful and fastest moving and most full of truth circle of heaven. Only God could now fully enjoy Beatrice's beauty. So we're going to have to see her, not as man would see her, but as God would see her. And we're going to get uh, to a moment in the text by the end of today, which uh, an enlightening moment for Dante, where he will start to see, not as a man, but as more of a divine being. And so, a uh, speculative question here is, the mind that which perceives reality recognizes more and more ordered complexity and beauty in reality, the higher its, the higher its perspective rises. Thus, the world, or Beatrice, is shined in a brighter or more beautiful light. Uh, the idea is this, the more ordered your mind becomes, uh, is it the case that you see more order in reality, and order is that which is beautiful in reality, rather than that which is disordered and random? Are you more capable of seeing the things that you could not see as your mind becomes uh, better ordered? And I, I say almost certainly that is uh, true. It, it is often uh, people that only see the ugly in the world, or only know of the ugly in the world, rather than the beautiful, that only see the ugly. 
It's like, well, if you can't understand a symphony, then you don't have much to say about the beauty, uh, the most beautiful and ordered things that have ever been made by man. In any case, Dante then admits himself defeated by the essence of Beatrice's beauty. He says it's totally ineffable. He can't possibly be expected to write down in a book, using language, just how beautiful she is. He'd have to uh, 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 resort to platitudes. Like it's, it's very deeply moving to see her. And so he leaves a fuller description to a future trumpet. And so he's actually literally saying, there may be a poet that comes after I do, and this poet may be more gifted than I am, more capable of expressing beauty than I am. But here I am at the limit of my abilities, and I'm also at the limit of heaven. So we have emerged now from the largest body, the Suprema Mobile, to the heaven of simple light. That is the Empyrean. And notice that the Empyrean is itself a complex word uh, built on two Greek words. The word M comes from the word in, which means in, and uh, the word Pyrean comes from the word per, or tire in our language, which means fire. So fire within is what the Pyrean is. Fire. It is itself outside space and time, and it seems to be either life or light itself. Hmm. What is life or light itself? It seems to be something like pure being, or pure energy, or pure consciousness outside of matter, outside of the constraints of matter. It's something uh, else very interesting about it is that it is outside the constraints of space and time, which means how much time do we spend in here? It is undefined. How much uh, time does Dante spend here? It is undefined. It could be millions of years that he spends learning what he learns. It could be three seconds how long, but there is no time there. So it is, as I said, like one over zero, undefined. And who do we see here <coughs> in this empire? Well, we see two armies, those who came before the coming of Christ and those who came after the coming of Christ. Even in this place of pure light, there is division, and we'll actually later see a division between ladies and men as well. And so, look at some of the descriptions here of the Empire. It is called intellectual light. Full of love. Love of the true good. Full of happiness. Happiness which transcends any sweetness. And so these are Dante's attempt at a description of what the ultimate heaven that could exist in his imagination would be. Intellectual light. You notice it's not imaginative. Full of love. So it's full of love. It's full of light. It's full of truth. It's true. full of good. It's full of happiness. It's full of happiness which transcends sweetness. It is the place where all the best things <coughs> which can exist do exist. And then Dante sees the two battalions and is blinded again just when, like when he attempted to see the body of St. John. So did living light so shine about me. Lines 49, 51, and Canto 30. And left me wrapped in such a veil of glory that nothing was visible to me. The love which makes this heaven quiet welcomes newcomers with a salutation like this to make the candle ready for the flame. Remember that candles are uh, made of wax. Just like that, um, uh, that metaphor that I, or analogy I shared with you earlier of the signet ring being impressed into the wax. The wax is that which is receptive. And so Dante is now made receptive of the truth. He is going to receive. He is finally ready for the ultimate truth. The, the flame that the Empyrean, which is made of uh, intellectual flame, will uh, uh, burn on his wick. These brief words had no sooner entered me than I became aware that my faculties, <coughs> that's his mind, had acquired more than their usual power. 
The light of the Empyrean being in its very presence bolsters Dante's ability to see what actually is and what it actually is. Dante will now see things as they are, beyond mere appearances. He will now see things, or in a moment he will see things, uh, very differently from how he did before, in a, a complete way, rather than a, uh, a discrete individual in particular or incomplete way, the way that humans see things, bound by time. He will now see things in a way unbounded by time, in a perfectly ordered way, which is uh, bizarre and difficult even to comprehend. And now we see something up here, at this top of heaven, and it makes us think of a garden, and it makes us think actually of terrestrial paradise, which was so like a garden with birds and trees and uh, two streams going through it. We see here, and I saw light in the form of a stream, so a light stream, a resplendent brilliance in between two banks. So it is very much like a stream or a river, painted with all the marvels of the spring. Is this the stream of consciousness, I ask? That's sort of an allegorical way of determining this. And are the two brain, the two banks, the two hemispheres of one's brain? That'd be a very allegorical way of reading this. In any case, here's an image of uh, the river of light right there. Very difficult to see uh, by William uh, Blake here. Probably because the whole idea is that this is all difficult to comprehend, so it shouldn't be easy to see. From this river, now the stream has turned into a river, issued live sparks which everywhere settled themselves in the flowers, there are flowers here too, and there's this garden metaphor, like rubies which have been set in gold. And I want you to think of that. A, a ring, which is gold, is it made cheaper or more expensive by the addition of a ruby? <coughs> Far more expensive. Which means that a gem is more expensive even than gold, precisely because a gem allows what to pass through it, which makes it even more beautiful. Light. And so it's like you as a human are the gold, and yet your mind, which can have light, which is a metaphor for truth, housed within it, is the most valuable part of yourself. It's like what's coming out of this light stream are pieces of information or wisdom or truth that can then be housed within the uh, gem-like minds of humans who uh, learn from it or drink from it. And in so drinking these truths, they become even more valuable, shiny, resplendent, brilliant as we call uh, our most intelligent people. Are the live sparks here true thoughts, which settle everywhere in the flowers? Are the rubies bits of truth, which the golden rings people can carry with them? Good thing we have this extra day, because we need it.